Welcome to Australian Design Radio to provide Australia and the world with conversations and commentary on Australian design. I'm Flynn Tracy and I'm here with Matt Leach. Hello, Matt. Hello, sir. How are you? Haven't seen you for ages. Um, it's been a while. Actually, well, we talked earlier today and you, you practically hung up on me. What happened? Yeah, I did. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, I was eight minutes late to a, to a meeting with some people in San Francisco and a meeting that I had called. So, um, yeah. <laughs> my my love bad. It. I love I love the fact that you were you were kind of telling me like yeah I've yep. got the whole day free I'm just going to be working some stuff <laughs> I'm working from home I'm going to catch it, up on all my own things I'm off the grid and uh, I was late to a one hour meeting with four other people on the other side brilliant. the only reason I knew about the meeting is because they sent me a Slack message saying hey we're really sorry we're late we'll be there in a minute so it was important for me to leave so that I could <laughs> get there in time to make it seem like I'd just been hanging around waiting super organized but yeah so it. Kind of sounds like you need to manage your time a little bit better. Like, oh, maybe you need a project management tool. I see where you're going with this. Nice. <laughs> I think it's time to mention Streamtime, a major supporter of ADR and everything we do. Actually, today I wanted to talk about one of their initiatives, which is mentallyhealthy.org, which I don't think enough people know about. In 2018, they ran a mentally healthy survey basically to see what was happening in the industry. There's a lot of hearsay, but not enough hard data to really know what was going on. Yep, I remember this. We participated, I think. Yeah, we did. And anyway, like after the survey results came out, Andy Wright, MD of Streamtime, got loads of emails and texts like asking him what next. So he put together a team of 20 people, all volunteers, co-chairing with Nina Nyman, CMO of Unlimited. And they created a book with industry leaders collecting stories about mental health journeys. They launched a website that was full of resources to help other people kind of manage their mental health. And they created a minimum standards for all businesses to sign that, that are standards that are the bare minimum for every business that, that what they should be doing regarding this topic. Yeah, it's a pretty cool um, list of studios that I saw, like Interbrand, Analog Folk, Vertigo, Bold Inc, Tankfjord, Motherbird, Paper Moose. I just did that all from memory. I don't have it open in front of me or anything like that. Um, but a lot of a lot of names that we've had, you know, we've had people from those studios and, and companies on the show before as well, which is cool. Yeah, and Agda's is even getting on board, and they're going to do like a whole bunch of stuff around this topic in the coming months. So I just thought we should mention it. And if you're listening and you haven't checked it out yet, go and have a look at mentallyhealthy.org. That's mentally-healthy.org. Yeah, and we'll include that link as well in the show notes, so you can scroll down and just click click through. Um, but yeah, so who do we have on this episode? Yeah, in this episode, very fittingly, we have Mentally Friendly. So we spoke to Nick Gower and Sakshi Moreleda. I hope I said that right. And look, it's been a while since Nick's been on the podcast. He was on way back at the beginning, like episode 12. Yeah, I mean, that was three years ago. Wow. Very, very long time. Uh, I dug it up <laughs> and found it. There is a link down to the to the bottom. And in fact, in that episode, we, we spoke quite a lot about Mentally Friendly and, and what they do as a business and try to understand kind of who they are and what they do. So if you finish this episode and you're interested in, in more, it is, a, it is a really good one. I really enjoyed talking to Nick and trying to unpack his mind. There's a link down in the bottom. So lots of links in this episode. So go check, go check that one out. Yeah, it is great to sit down with Nick. He, we, we've both known him forever. And it's, um, mm. it's always good to kind of try and unpack, as you said, like what, what he's thinking. Because I find his brain moves incredibly quickly. And sometimes it's quite hard to keep up with. I mean, you edited this one. And I seem to remember I was giving him quite a hard time during the recording because I was trying to get him to answer the question I wanted answered. Right. Yeah. Well, Nick's great, but I love the balance. Like I think in practice he has, it's Nick and John. So there's always like, a, the, it, like 
um, they work so well together. In this episode, we had Sakshi there, was, which was great. Um, and so sort of a really great conversation that we had. Um, but yeah, in regards to Nick, yeah, going through the edit, we were trying to summarize what Nick was talking about in regards to operational design uh, when he was explaining it uh, so we could put it into a ni- nice, like, tidy little box. Like, what's the headline? Yeah. What's the keen <laughs> takeaway? Uh, which was kind of the point that we're trying to say was that it really isn't it really isn't that and um it's a it's a mistake to try to put it in a box (laughs) you know by its nature uh which i think was just the process of us learning and understanding so it's sakshi is senior organizational designer and it was really great to have her there because i mean her role really sums up the change in direction for mentally friendly that they've made over the last couple of years the focus on strategy at an organizational level and how that offering has changed the way they work with clients all that good stuff we got into. Yeah, and change the types of clients they work with. And, um, you know, they work with health, education, finance, government, really pushing the idea of delivering well-being at like a much grander scale. Yeah, which is something I was really interested in understanding more about. So should we jump in? Let's do it. So we've got loads to talk about. Let's start with you. Okay. What What do you do? Who am I? I am an organizational designer at Mentally Friendly. What And what does that mean? <laughs> yeah, good question. That's like- the one question I came prepared to <laughs> ask. <laughs> I even spoke about it before we started recording. Know, I'm like, I'm going to ask, what is your definition of organizational design? You just jump straight down my throat. I'll just... You can just go. I'm just done. You can ask me again and maybe I'll have a different answer. (laughs) I'll ask you at the end and see how good you are at doing it twice. Yeah, true, true. Um, An organizational designer is someone who, you know, just designs better ways of working with different teams in any industry, any organization. So what that looks like is co-creating, co-designing with teams, what types of changes they want to make so that they can work better together, whether that's a new process, whether that's collaboration, whether that's some stakeholder engagement and management, it could be multiple types of things. But the main difference is you're coming from a design product background, mm-hmm. as opposed to that job that may have been done before was probably very business, mm. wasn't it? It yeah. was like a, almost a motivational kind of business speaker yeah yeah those. yeah i think it's from a product perspective it's how do you apply continuous learning and changing towards a product what we do is apply that same methodology that same type of thinking for teams because it's a thing that's talked the least about uh, you know with other people but it's the thing that impacts humans the most when they go to work and so our focus is to apply that same type of thinking instead of just to your products and the thing you're delivering is how you engage with your team how you engage with your leaders can you talk more about the the theory behind that? The theory. How, behind- mu- how, mu- how much is secret and what? No, nothing's a secret. Nothing's a secret. <laughs> That's the whole point. It's the whole point of the move to organizational design is to try and share all the tips and tricks yeah. we've learned over the last 15 so years. So why, why why now and and why in the first place? Why, why do you? Because most, a lot of studios would be like, that's, that's our IP. We've worked on that for years. Mm. Yeah. Well... <clears throat> Uh, it's great for us. Yeah. Well, <laughs> mentally, like our brand purpose is to make good intentions real. We're obsessed with making things, not because we love the process of making things, but 
because we love the solutions that those things provide. So it's often been, you know, like websites and products and services and all those sorts of things, which are designed to solve a problem. We get really frustrated and empathize massively with our clients who are really frustrated when change isn't happening quick enough. You know, when there's this great idea, you know, you want to get live to this really important problem. And there's just all this sort of invisible barriers to making that stuff happen. And, you, you know, like as a designer working in a team, you feel that all the time. You've got this great idea and, you know, you, you've sort of said it a few times and maybe it didn't get heard mm. and you don't want to be like a dick about it and force it down someone's throat, but you don't really have perhaps the status in the team or, you know, the time with the people who matter or the language or process to share that idea mm. in like a meaningful way. And yeah, we've seen too many of those sorts of ideas go unrealized. So, you know, obviously our consulting practice helps people realize those ideas. Sometimes they don't need, they've got design teams and they've got a development team. What they need is that those people to have some support to work better together. Yeah. In order to solve those problems. And I don't think that like our goal is to create an army of org designers. Yeah. I think if we're doing our job well, it should be part of everyone's job naturally. Yeah. Is to constantly find the way like what's holding us back from being as great as we can be and then solving that together. And so I think we talk about this all the time. Like what does <clears throat> what does the future of org design look like? And I think it's it would be the future is when it's embedded in any job role and that we're constantly doing it. That's really why we're not trying to protect our IP. Mm -hmm. And it's more that the change maker is already there in organizations. It's knowing how to connect with other people to create that change. And we just serve as like the catalyst to do that. So when you're talking about it being part of everyone's role, are you talking about internally at Mentally Friendly or are you talking about when you're working with these teams? Yeah, good question. So yeah. No, it's all everyone in an organization, right. in any company. It's what we're trying to do is help leaders and teams do the change that they want together. Because usually it feels like I'm on the team and I'm alone and I know what change I want to make, but they aren't, you know, they're unable to, like Nick just said, they'd feel like they maybe don't have the agency or the hierarchy to do that. Mm. But it's when you bring those leaders and teams together to create that, that's essentially what we try to do. And is it often people in leadership? I'm trying to imagine the makeup of the people in this room. Like, is it some, is it like, you got your mixed bag. Like, is it someone at the coalface of the business and then also like the managing director or is it often like the top thought leaders? I'm trying to understand like who's involved in these kind of these workshops and whose mind you're trying to change. I think, yeah, well, I mean, as I said before, like make good intentions real. I think people have to want to change, like mm. they have to identify, wow, we've got a great team, you know, they're good. Um, at what they do we're just not getting the results that we need can someone help us so we're not really trying to convince anyone that they need to change the mm. way that they work right but for change to happen all the people that you just mentioned sort of need to be involved in one way or another yeah we're trying to work with you know teams coalface designers developers what have you to show them and to make room for them in their organizations to interface and interact with those more senior people yeah it's closing better. that gap yeah. How how likely is it that the client understands that they need this service? Because like like you said like they they're not getting the results they need. Yeah. So typically most clients would go, well, the people mm. are wrong. Yeah. I'm just going to clean house. Yeah. <laughs> well, You're no. all fired. Well, that's traditional org design, right? Yeah. yeah. Like yeah. make a spreadsheet, add some names, send the emails, 
hire new people tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Change their job titles. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's the exact thing we're trying to change. So just like everything that we do here, it's sort of doing it the hard way. You know, not everyone knows it, but the people who think this way find us and we find mm. them. Right. And, I, and a lot of it comes through in the way that we're asked to create change. It usually starts with we need some help building capability. Like we don't have the skill, so can you come in and teach that skill? Mm. And Right. Make our people better. Yeah. 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 Right. So, it, so it's almost like you once you're in there, you go, ah, actually – you, you need a it's lot almost more. never capability if it is it's maybe like the third phase yeah. of work but there's so many other things and it almost always starts with meaningful collaboration mm-hmm. how are you guys working together to solve a problem and that's almost always where we start and it's we're at like a real inflection point i suppose for business because change is bau now you know um, yeah. organizations need to be set up to change BAU is business as usual. Yeah, sorry. Um, yeah, so exactly. That's, that's half of my job here is just <laughs> to break down acronyms. Translator. Yeah. yeah. That's an abbreviation. Even better. See, because that's why B- you're here. Because BAU as an acronym would be BAU. BAU. Bow. 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 Yeah. It's an abbreviation if you just See, pronounce the letters. That's why we did this. Um, I've lost my train of thought. Hey, <laughs> hey you did that. Changes BAU. I didn't drag you down. Yeah. <laughs> I dragged myself down. Yeah. It happens a lot. <laughs> yeah, change is uh, the thing that they're really asking us to help their teams get better at. But I guess you hinted at it before. Really, what we end up doing is helping them become better at managing right. yeah. change. And, you know, I think it sort of goes up and down the ladder all the way from what's the strategy going to be for the whole business down to how are we going to get this website out is we need to work together to move as quickly as the outside world is moving. Hmm. It's just interesting in what the typical kind of industries. Like I'm trying to, it's still just like, I'm, it's great because we're in one of your workshop rooms and I'm kind of looking at post-its and all sorts of stuff and um, system cards. Is that system cards? Correct. System cards. Yeah. Gotta make sure I get it right. And just trying to think of like, yeah, the make the makeup of people. Like, is it often, is it often big, like blue chip? Like, is it often health? Is it often government? Like, are those the sort of organizations? Does it typically, are the knots more complicated when it's a big organization or does this also affect smaller businesses i I think it scales from startup to scale up to massive traditional organizations right we were just discussing my brother's a lawyer and he's trying to wrap his head around about what i do and how does it work and you know his tensions and the things that he experiences as a lawyer is the exact same things you experience in a traditional digital agency or anywhere it always comes down to the essential components of working together it's um, information is currency no one's sharing the information i need you know in older ways of working information would flow up so that decisions could flow down and now we're switching that where information should flow down to the coalface, to the people doing the work, so that they're able to make the decisions that are scaled up to you know senior leaders. And that's the shift that we're experiencing. So in terms of industry, I think my goal and my you know focus would be to apply this to every industry. Because I think fundamentally, no matter where you work, these, these problems are the same. Mm. So can we talk about what you're applying? Sort of like the what, what are the building blocks when you go into an organization? Yeah. I mean, it always starts with talking to the teams. 
the people doing the work. It seems so obvious, but, you know, we have ways that we engage teams to talk about their biggest tensions and their biggest barriers to them being successful. And then we just serve as kind of like a mirror for the organization in a way that it's hard to view yourself and be self-aware. It's the same, same is true of an organization. It's hard to really see yourself um, in that way. And so usually our first engagement is to really just be the mirror for an organization, hear what their teams are saying, but then go directly into action. Cause you know, organizations can talk a lot about what their problems are and never find a solution or a way to start. And, you know, don't let perfect be the enemy of good is a common phrase in today's world. And it's true of organizations as well. I like that. It's kind of like a riff on the Paul Rand, like to try to be great, just try to be good. Is that Paul Rand? I'm on the record probably getting that incorrect. <laughs> That's fine. We'll edit that out if I'm wrong and we'll leave it in if I'm right. <laughs> I like that. So once once you've done that and you so you've acted as the mirror, mm. do you have a number of steps that a client can choose from or do you always have to get to like your, your end point or is there other points where the, the client can kind of jump off so so this is interesting right like what you're doing there in the way you ask that question is we're trying to like see what's the process to get to like, yeah. the finish and i think that's um where a lot of design becomes super super abstract where what we try and do is you know we might call it like team acceleration or something like that mm-hmm. we try and help a team solve a problem and during the solving of that problem get you know an opportunity to try new techniques and things. Yep. So it's not so much about, you know, go through ideation, then go through experimentation and then, you know, launch in the way that perhaps a traditional design process works. Yeah. It's about, it's more of like a coaching model, mm. I suppose. And the, right. and that's exactly what I'm trying to get at because yeah. I'm trying to apply, does it apply to the design process? And it, yeah. it sounds like it doesn't. Well it, well, it depends, right? Because I also don't think that that type of process works out well for design either right you know like (laughs) because i think you know sprint based design or like iterative design is a much less kind of predictable water flow Mm -hmm. of of things to 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 sort of go through and you know that's why we're seeing such a massive shift in you know the way we hire designers and the way that what they're being asked to do you know moving from the steve jobsian approach you know which is the approach that was you know kind of looked up to when i was at design school um to more of i suppose if you had to make a maybe like the google approach like you don't know any of the names of the people who designed anything at google most likely right Right. it's like a real collective yeah um so it's not so much like what is the process you go through but how good are you at communicating and collaborating Mm. and you know which the design process is helpful in that sense because you can it's easy to explain to a client yeah they kind of get where you are in the process and and what they're paying for i guess i think the similarity is about you know there's the same process that we talk about when we are talking about products is the ideate test you know that type of approach and fundamentally what we're trying to do is introduce experimentation and testing to the way that you work so in that way that's the process Mm -hmm. but the way that we go about doing it can change but it's just the getting into the practice of constantly looking at yourselves, evaluating what's working, what's not working, trying something new, and then measuring it. Is it working? Is it helping us? And if it is, continue. How can we evolve? If it's not, what do we stop doing? You know? Mm. Can we talk about a case study like SBS, for example, and what you did for them? Sure, we can. Yeah. Um, so with SBS, it was, you know, we 
started with how do we help our digital teams live our value of audience obsession? And I think what the intention was is how do we create, you know, specific ways of working, so agile ways of working or that design process and things like that. But really what it came down to is how do we collaborate better together? Because the way that, you know, the way that they worked was that they had different views of how they saw their audience. And so what we just, you know, we worked with the teams, with the leaders to identify what is a shared goal? What's the shared purpose that we're here to do? Um, and through that, we've been working with them for eight to 10 months. But in the span of about three months, we got, you know, six different departments to identify on their shared goal and then really focus on what role do they play in delivering that goal together rather than seeing it from their separate perspectives. Mm. So just switching the context, aligning on that shared goal. uh, What are they trying to do for this quarter? And yeah, so trying to create that process or that way of working continuously and when you talk about goal you mean the the whole team talking about what do we have what do we all have in common even though we're different departments and putting that as the great this is our reason of existing Mm -hmm. and then each individual team has like well this is how we do that is that my i'm just trying to break it down so i understand yeah that's exactly right right okay so i guess we're like sort of loosely talking about going from task-based design mm. or task-based working sort yeah. of in a if you want to sort of frame it through like a future of work perspective it's like moving from a task-based industrial revolution type here's a list of things mm. just go do those things right to a here's a group of people who yeah they have job titles and yeah they have specialties but really everyone's job is just to reach this goal mm. and we call those kind of uninventively missions um you know it's like a reasonably well understood concept that if someone feels connection to the you know like the job that they've been given and get given enough freedom to try different things um then they're gonna you know be able to come to a better conclusion and that obviously like um helps combat the whole idea of that's not my problem yeah, within, within a business that you get quite a lot. It's like, yeah, right, I saw so that coming from a long while, yeah, while this, away, but that's not my problem. This and is they find the person channel. that's in charge of that. And yeah. I just, I, I had a really good quarter. Yeah. And my boss is happy and my KPIs are slightly up. So that's exactly right. Right. Exactly. Um, yeah. And you can sort of see it playing out in, you know, job titles for designers. You know, we're working with another organization. They have several design departments. So they have, I might exaggerate slightly here, but they've got UI and UX, definitely. They've got CX, they've got service design, and then they've got a prototype team. And it's like, that sort of sounds cool. They've got like a really great sort of arsenal of designers there. But in practice, what that means is everyone's defending their turf all the time. Right, yeah. Everyone's trying to say like, that. what you're doing there is CX and yeah. that's my job. And you know, some poor, All right. like mm. UI designers being told, like, you're only allowed to, like, move buttons around. I'm in totally. charge of the strategy, right? Yeah. You just do the stuff at the end. Yeah. Like, you're basically the printer. <laughs> you're, the printer <laughs> you're the human printer. And, you know, I think people come to us and they say, like, I want to make my team more high-performing. And it's like, cool, what have you done so far to try and make that happen and they rattle off all these things like Mm. we've done three upskilling things we've defined people's job descriptions we've you know tried to build a better culture and it's like but what have you done to help the team Mm. like the five people 
that aren't getting the job done that you're trying to achieve, what have you done to try and support them? Like Jill and John and Jenny, mm. like those actual humans, have you gone and spoken to them about how they're working, whether they're being heard and what the barriers are to getting things done? Because people reach for these, like we need a better design culture. We need to be mm. more human centric or we may, need to be more diverse or all these like probably. And, and in the past, I guess we've been told that, you know, you fix the culture and you fix the people. Well, I would put it the other way. I would say, <laughs> I would say great culture doesn't build great teams. Yeah. Great teams build great culture. Mm. And um, mm. people don't think about the individuals in their business. They don't think of, you know, like Matt and Flynn trying to put on a podcast. They think of a business called, ADR that has a culture of X and how do we, you know, make that more high performing. And I'm just happy to be heard, thought of. <laughs> yeah. Like, just yeah. to be in someone's mind. <laughs> it's lovely. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So how, how did all this come? Because we've obviously had you on before, Nick. Mm. It was a long time ago. hundred episodes was ago. Was it a hundred? At least a hundred. Well, no. what are you oh, yeah. Well, I was number 10 or something, number 12 maybe. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. So... How did it, all, all this come about? Because this seems like quite a move away from where, sure. where Mentally Friendly was. Yeah. Well, as I said, or as I say, like, um, you know, we work on a lot of different sorts of projects. So we're always trying to create human value or better outcomes for humans through the products and services that we make. And we mean that in quite a literal sense. So we build products in sort of in mental health you know, in financial well-being, so helping people manage their money better, We've built financial counseling services and those sorts of things. We've worked in domestic violence um, and designing in that space, design for children and education. And these are really powerful, important things. And because we've given the team that mission, not that task, we've said, let's try and make these services better. These core services that we use every single day, you know, every single day I use my bank account and it's typically making me poorer every interaction that I have with it. It's making me more confused. It's making it easier for me to spend money. It's not yep. helping me figure out where I'm at. So we give the team or we've given the team that mission and they came back to me essentially, or we all realized together that, you know, one of the ways that we could help make changes just by sharing the way that we work with the other teams in the businesses that we're working on a product for. And then perhaps that would help them. And that's happened on, before we formally set up this approach or this like offering, I suppose, we would see that, you know, and we always considered that success. We would come and work with the team. We have a hugely com collaborative process. So we involve lots of people from the organization, lots of other teams, you know, we'll present at showcases that, you know, 50 or hundred people might be at in the bigger businesses. And what we saw as success is when we saw other teams starting to copy our processes. Mm -hmm. And then I would go walk over to them and say like, oh, it's cool, you guys, I'm having a crack at that thing we did or that process or that like tool that we use and they'd be a bit like oh yeah is that okay and then I'd say no worries I'll hang out with you and I'll teach them and I'll share all our internal docs that we mm. use to teach our teams and then obviously inevitably that would lead to us getting more work as well um, but I was also just so proud when I'd get a text message or like a slack message from a big like national broadcaster and a team inside that organization would say hey we put this feature live or this really cool thing live on a product that I'd never even worked on. And we feel that you guys are in some way have some small, you know, part to play in its success because you like shared all these cool ideas with us. Yeah. And like, that's what, 
that's what we're all about it's really it's really nice do you run into the same problem so consultants like typical business consultants uh, may find that as soon as they kind of walk out of the building and everyone claps and it goes okay for a little bit but then it kind of stops it kind of gets put into the third drawdown and our business is specifically designed to avoid that moment Mm. make good intentions real so the failure for us is that that is the worst possible scenario that's what we're all tuned to try and avoid like building confidence and momentum so that you know this awesome idea that you discovered through co-design or through some design process actually happens i think reports are death to design you actually i don't think that anything that exists in a report is a is design other than the font on that page <laughs> you know i think that that's research right you're you're a research team with a visual designer who makes cool diagrams at that point unless the thing actually gets made real you haven't solved the problem you've mm. just pointed out some options which is a, a, a like a, a useful part of the process for sure but our whole process and this exact team is designed to try and avoid that from happening so, Sachi, how, how does it differ then, say, from a KPI or an OKR, for example? Is it is it completely outside of that? I mean, you talked about missions, mm-hmm. um, and you've talked about to me before about meaningful missions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So is it completely separate to that, or does it... What do you mean re- separate from uh, se- Separate to like a KPI or an OKR? So I, th- I, th- I think where we're going here is just before you were talking about how there's some teams you're working with at the moment who have no word for project yeah 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 yeah. and so their life is just an endless list of tasks and when so she was talking oh, that's really interesting yeah, yeah they i mean you tell the story please yeah yeah so um you know we're trying to identify projects that we could help teams you know work better together and what we learned is like just the language of a project is not used unless it's a new thing So only if a new thing or a new initiative is happening in the business, they would call it a project. And those projects are a huge success because they have the right support. There's a lot of clarity. Right. But the spotlight on it. Yeah. But everything outside of that, the BAU, there's no terminology for what those things are. Yet that consists of most of your day. It's what you go into work to do. But there's no clarity on, you know, what does success look like and how am I being measured on it and what's the role that I play to contribute to that that solution. And, there, and this is where like KPIs or OKRs would normally come into play because they can say, well, you know, your KPI meeting that you have, well, I did all that and I ticked off all the list. Yeah. But I think those things, particularly in teams where it's, you know, like a large volume of work over a long period of time, yeah. they tend to end up being velocity-based yeah. or like artifact based yep. so you know did you how much user testing set how many user testing sessions did you run yeah, six correct six kick, <laughs> you know? and, it, and yeah. i think like for us collaboration isn't measured in yep. time and meetings mm. it's measured in changed minds right like how many times you change your mind how many times i changed my mind so none of those things are very useful measures it's more you know what is the meaningful mission what is the thing that we all thought Christ, this is worth coming to work for. Mm. Yep. This is worth putting my energy into. It's worth kind of focusing on. And I know when it's done. Yeah. So you can move on to the next thing. And I think I think that's the hardest thing. It, well, K- KPIs, I don't really agree with because so mm. much stuff gets missed and it becomes so quantifiable mm-hmm. that um, it, it's, it's unworkable. 
OKRs go some way to kind of meeting that in the sense that you you know what the kind of key result the whole business is trying to get to. But this sounds like it's it's even more personal. Yeah, potentially with the with the meaningful missions. Like each person has a meaningful mission. Well, I I think it's about creating a shared goal. Is, yeah. is the idea of a mission. It's past just what I need to do, like in more of a sort of sprint planning type cadence of like, I've got to design these five pages or do these five things. It's like, what are we all trying to achieve? I mean, Elon Musk talks about it a lot. He's like, I don't create business. I mean, you know, it's Elon Musk, I guess, but he says, I don't create businesses. I create, I collect a group of people to solve a problem. Mm. So I didn't create a business called SpaceX. I collected 10 people who I thought were super passionate about and super, um, well, super skilled and interesting and gave them the mission of landing on Mars. And then they just figured the rest out. And I didn't do job titles and I didn't make lists of tasks. I just said, you've got a year and 20 yeah. bazillion dollars land this thing on Mars. <laughs> and then they figure out, well, okay, well we need a rocket and we've only got a bazillion dollars. So this thing, we need to be reusable. And I guess that means it needs to land. And someone says, oh, I'm really good at, you know, whatever the physics type is that helps you figure out how to make something land. And that's how we want to treat our design teams or our teams is if you have a really, regardless of um, seniority or experience, if you have a great, if you have something meaningful to add to the meeting of the mission, then you can, but only if you know what that mission is. I love the idea of old Muskie, like just walking down the street and just running into like a group of 10 scientists on their lunch break and going, you know what? We're going to Mars. We're going to Mars. <laughs> like, and if he but took imagine a how corner at he- that would be, you know, <laughs> amazing. And this is where that cap- capability thing falls down. It's not so much about, you know, I'm going to interview all these people to make sure they have the exact right hard skills. It's I'm going to try and find people who put their hand up and set that's the thing I want to do. I will do whatever it takes to get to Mars. Mm. Right. And it's the same, you know, with design for sure. You know, we hire for mindset over hard skills. Obviously, we're a hard skill business yeah. in a lot of ways. You know, people have to be amazing designers, have to know all these programs and all that kind of thing. But the thing we hire for is not that. So so just to pause on that bit, does that mean that entry level is, you, you know, it's basically a given that you're pretty good on the tools and you're fairly tech savvy and you, do you know what I mean? Like, is that just given at, at the beginning and then it's like, okay, now from here? No, not, well, not necessarily. I would prefer to hire someone that isn't an amazing designer, but has a bunch of other qualities that we see as desirable, like collaboration in a real sense. And how do you find, so, so how like do you soft, find soft skills? Soft skills. Yeah. Like uh, they can teach themselves as well. People who are passionate about self right. te- self teaching, you know, so we often hire people and like, we often hire people who actually came for a different job, which actually can tell the her story in a second. Um, we hire people who have come to us and said, um, and I, I do mean often, like maybe 50% of the time, they come and say, I've never done this thing before, but I'm super passionate to learn it. And th- we're like, tick, that's the main thing we're looking for here. Right. Whereas, Are you hiring? Just in case anyone's looking for <laughs> We're always looking for people with that mindset, yeah. you know, and then we will find them work. Like, I, as I said before, like I've, I've never had like a, like a, I've never had a proper job, you know, mm-hmm. we started MF and I built the design career that I wanted by finding the work that was meaningful and, you know, collecting people around me that were smarter than me to do the stuff that I couldn't do so we could fix those problems that we were given the best. And I want to create that opportunity for people. So, I mean, like, it's actually 
Tell, yeah, tell yeah, your story. My story. Yeah. Oh, so I was a product manager that didn't care about the product, <laughs> which maybe didn't go over so well. You're like a jaded writer, like <laughs> drinking whiskey and throwing your, throwing a typewriter in the corner and there's just 20 other broken oh, typewriters no, in the corner. No, I hope not. Um, just this beer. Um, <laughs> but I mean like a hugely successful product manager. Yeah, yeah. I mean, right. I yeah. So, you know, I started my career in San Francisco where all tech companies are and it was like an overload of amazing people and skill sets that are on yeah unreal and i was just more motivated by the teams and how i get the team that i was working with to align like just work together and you know i was dealing globally with a global product development team and you know that was the most exciting thing for me and you know i never identified as a designer even though i went to design school and so you know, when I got to Australia and I was, you know, applying for Mentally Friendly, I, you know, saw an open JD for my product manager. And so I applied and just through the, they had given me a task or a project, I would say. And it was really open-ended and it was, you know, how would you design, you know, a workshop? And I forget the details, but it wasn't design this thing for this, you know, output being a, you know, a wireframe or a flow or something. It was really like critically thinking through how I would engage a group of people to work together to solve a problem, which I think anyone in this building is capable of doing is that's why we're all here is to get people to work together effectively and efficiently. And so through that process, you know, I just realized that as I was talking, I wanted to work with teams and I actually didn't know that that was going to be the outcome. And so Nick came back and the team came back to me and they're like, cool, this is great. Like, we just don't think, you know, product management is really where you are. It's in org design. And I'd never heard of org design before. <laughs> and so just naturally through this process, I found that I found that I identify as a designer now more than ever because I've now been exposed to what a designer really means. And it really is exciting for me because to have run away from being a designer to finally finding it and feeling like this makes sense and I feel good about it. Yeah, it's super exciting. It's the hero's journey. It's like, yeah, that's like running away to find yourself and then realizing that yeah, family was in always <laughs> in the inside since the beginning. It's a lovely story. That's great. So how, but in the position you're in now, how, how do you find... The next you yeah is there a pro i mean you talked about that, that there's you set a project for people coming in yeah is that normal set a project for mm. when hiring people yeah i mean we're looking for mindsets we're looking for people to have you know some kind of mission that they're on i guess and often people don't know what that is like i, I know i didn't mm. and but maybe still don't other than i love the idea of solving problems and putting things live so you know we have like a really broad variety of clients and really broad variety of projects so um, we're looking for people who want to go find that stuff and the process would be to give a um, designer or a developer or a product manager a task which or a project which helps them express to us that mission that they have inside them, I guess. We'd never ask someone to just design something, like mm. send them a website and say, can you redesign this or, or something like that? Because it's sort of the opposite of how we would work. In fact, if you were really good at that and really comfortable doing that, then like we probably wouldn't be able to hire you. <laughs> it was you know? a trick question. It was a trick question. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what we would typically do, and with Sakshi 
um, the task we gave product managers for a long time, and I think we still do, is because there's so few product managers in the like true product managers in Australia, they usually come from project management or from program management or account management or, or sort of something like that. And the task we gave was how would you teach a group of account managers to become product managers? Wow. Um, which is like a bit of a meta thing where we're just trying to assess whether people see the gap between those two jobs. Um, yeah. It doesn't matter whether they're currently a project manager. We just want them to know what they're getting themselves in for. Mm. And with design, it'll usually be a non-design based task. It'll be some kind of workshop, which is just about sharing ideas, changing minds. We're looking for people who um, really boldly put concepts forward, but mm. change their mind really quickly as well. So call that um, strong opinions loosely held. Talk more about that because I've heard you say that before. Yeah. Again, this transition from the like Steve Jobsian, I have the answer. Mm-hmm. Customers would just ask for for a faster horse yep. sort of school of thinking through the, the more recent like distributed decision making approach. One of the big transitions we've seen over the last like over the time we've been working is hiring amazing designers, asking them for their opinions, have those opinions, and then they put them forward and they're either right or wrong and big ta-da moment with clients. Then we introduced tons and tons of user testing. And then it became, we went the other way. So we had really empathetic designers who had no opinion. They were just like, let's see what the customer thinks. And that yeah. has its own let's problems. Let's test everything. Right. Let's yeah. test. Yeah. Well, not even let's test. Like, let's just research see what they think. And, yeah. Let's just research like indefinitely. So we mm. swung all the way in the other direction. Yeah. And then we realized or have landed in this kind of middle point where it's actually what we want is we want people who are comfortable at like jumping to conclusions, but who are also really clear that those are just starting points. They're just jumping points. Right. So we can work together really quickly, come up with a bunch of really great ideas or just ideas, I guess, and then get them in the test lab as soon as possible, you know, put them out in the real life, in the real world, build a prototype or whatever it is. And as we did that, it, it was really interesting. All the ego went out of all design communication styles changed here. You know, we started hearing people making really kind of powerful arguments for things. And then someone saying, but didn't we see that other thing the other day? And them going, yeah, shit, you're right. Let's do that thing instead. <laughs> and that's when we're like, okay, this is it. And it really started working. And yeah. actually just today I had a client comment on that. They uh, The team finished like a big project and it's like a massive firm. And they said, really enjoyed working with the team. This is one of the senior leaders. They pushed me really hard, but they also knew when to back off. And, you know, that's exactly what I'm that's looking for. That's kind of the perfect Right. Thing. Yeah. Mm. And I, I know you love having the clients involved in, in a lot, like every step of the way, but when you're having those periods where you're kind of like, oh, yeah, shit, that doesn't work. Let's do it this way. Do you try and hide that from the clients or is that just something? Because there could be a potential there for the client to go, they don't know what they're doing. Or we don't know what we're they're, doing. They're making it up as they go along. We are. <laughs> but, but, and I think that is the ultimate form of trust Okay, is being honest because everyone's making it up as they're going along. Like we do, there's a a couple of groups of projects that we do all the time, you know, like mental health we do a lot in, financial well-being we do a lot in, education, like this, and they're quite similar types of projects a lot of the time. And every single time they're somewhat different. So it just seems crazy to me that anyone would pretend that they have the answer before they've heard the question. And I think like we do, we work in design sprints. So every, uh, every sprint we meet, with the senior, senior clients at least four times. 
but we usually work on site with them and alongside them and we do what we call designing in public so we'll have a big wall with all the designs there so they can see whatever artifacts are starting to appear and yeah maybe on the first one or two occasions they they might think okay cool they've cracked it they've designed the thing and it's only been four days because our team's super quick yeah and then they might and we invite them to testing like we're sitting in our testing lab right now on the other side of our two-way mirror we've got about 20 observation seats and we invite all the clients to every single test session and you know yeah the first time they probably think we've cracked it and then they come and watch tests and it's clear that the customers or citizens or whatever have some kind of issue with it and they go oh that's terrible that's really bad i thought we'd cracked it and you they can see my team's really happy they're like wow yeah why are you guys so happy we just failed miserably? And it's like, because that's learning. Mm. That's how we're going to get better. That's how we're going to get to the non-intuitive outcome. Yep. That's how we're going to end this project with something that you couldn't have just guessed at the beginning. Mm. And you're going to believe that it's true because you watched it unfold. And that's how you build trust. I think as soon as you take things away for like one or two days, three days, four days, five days, a month, mm-hmm. come back and show someone. Mm. And then they say, cool, how do you come up with that? And you have to basically lie to them, right? You've just got to sell the <laughs> post, shit out of it. Post-rationalize, yes. Yeah, you have to just sell it because you don't <laughs> want to tell the whole story because that's like you can't take them on that journey. You've got to turn into a salesperson at that point, and that's not your job. Mm-hmm. Your job is design, right? I think it's also like exposing the process as being uncomfortable and you don't have the answer. Yep. So, you know, in the playbacks mm. and, you know, fortnightly demos that we have um, with our clients, what we're doing is it's very vulnerable. It's exposing that we don't know, you know, we don't have the answer right now. We're telling you that right now. And so that you can see how it's progressed over time. So that's actually a super interesting thing that I've learned being here is that usually a lot of the time what we're doing is getting our our clients comfortable with getting in front of a room of 50 to 100 people and presenting work that is unfinished, but then showing how are you going to go about the next step and what's your plan? Yeah. And then constantly sharing those learnings as you go. That is essentially what every business wants. That's what every organization wants. They want innovation. They want new ideas. And it's uncomfortable. You don't have the answer when you first start. Yeah. And we've developed all these weird little tricks, you know, in our presentation styles. So like every four days, the teams present. And they present off the wall, so like hand-drawn things, like for a technical or digital kind of centric firm, I suppose, we try and avoid computers wherever we possibly can and, you know, talk to people and, and, you know, have meetings and stuff. So they'll present off the wall, off printed out or drawn things. And what we do is in the beginning, everything's hand-drawn and we have taught everyone a similar type of drawing that kind of is simple and expressive. Okay. It's like a little thumb as a person with just a little face to try and avoid weird stick figure type situations yeah. playing out. And so that, you know, every room here you go into, you'll see it looks like the same person's done the drawings. So right. sort of taught that. Mm-hmm. And then what we do is over the course of the project, the parts that we feel really comfortable with, we then do illustrations for, like um, vector illustrations, and then we print those pages. And the parts that we still feel are in flux, we keep presenting as drawings until we feel more comfortable with them. Right, which gives you, I guess, like a, a visual kind of like, this is where we're up to, this is where we're up these to. are the gaps. Yeah. yeah, you don't have to explain the system to people. They just yeah. look at, oh, those ones are printed and they seem really finished. And yeah. these ones look like they were done this morning, which they probably were. And, you know, that focuses the attention because we also present the entire project every time we present just to make sure newcomers to the, you know, check-ins and things can catch up. So we might rush through the printed part that they've seen a few times Mm -hmm. and then stick on. And this is what we're 
struggling with right now. We think it could be this and we think it could be that. And it gets it, straight away, you get rid of that problem where the design feels too finished so the client can't actually like engage with it. Yeah, mm. that's exactly right. Yeah, that's really nice. So can I just cycle back quite quickly because are we saying that portfolios are dead? Um, no. So, I, to, so just yeah. to wrap everything up, yeah. <laughs> portfolios are dead. Yeah. I'm, just, I'm just looking for the headline. Yeah? yeah, portfolios are dead. Yeah, maybe. I mean, we also got some interesting questions the other day when we were sort of live streaming about how do you show work that you can't show for confidentiality reasons yep. and those sorts of things. And I think there's lots of reasons why like a traditional portfolio, I mean, like when I was at Billy Blue, we literally had a portfolio class where we printed out like a whatever size that was and put them in like a big old a2 back then or something yeah like a, a leather bound <laughs> book right just big enough to be a pain in the butt if yeah you had to catch public transport which yeah every student had to do <laughs> yeah i mean it's certainly transitioned from that to something else like that doesn't exist then it's sort of like personal sites which are this weird meta expression of particularly if you're a des- like a digital designer it's like pretty meta description of your skills because we would hope that people have built their own sites and we'll talk a lot about how you did that you know did you try and build the whole thing from scratch do you know any code you don't have to but it's pretty easy to figure out how to make like a basic site and what did you go had to go about doing that so having like a portfolio site is super maybe not impressive but it's um a really great way of demonstrating skills yeah and then perhaps sort of the way you've dealt with the work that you've got there so perhaps if you've only got like uni or or like kind of college work how you present what's meaningful about that, the way you talk about it, and then obviously the quality of the design as well. Though I think the quality can be improved by practice and by working on teams, um, whereas like the thinking is harder to improve. Yeah. So you you want the baseline, I guess. I'm not going to agree to that. You guys keep trying to get me to agree that. Like, I don't. I mean, yeah, obviously. Don't, don't Nick, throw me into this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. Obviously, there's a um. You know, there is a minimum level of hard skills that designers need to yeah. su- to succeed for sure. But um, I just think that the opportunities for people who are really passionate about problem solving, for deciding, for designing, is way broader than just how well they can visually design. Mm. Yeah, that's really good. We're getting pretty close to the end what haven't we covered don't you don't have to no because it's just it's it's been very good it's it's just a quick check to make sure that we this is how we work yeah (laughs) (laughs) i love you looking at it like like you look stressed this is bullying basically it's gonna be fun this is good cop bad cop yeah because i was like is there anything else you can talk about it's like you don't have to yeah because i was gonna comment but don't feel like you need to (laughs) well because i was going to compliment you guys on how far the podcast has come in the last hundred episodes because i've listened to a bunch over the last few weeks in order to um you know prepare and just like catch up with what you guys have been doing on the podcast and now i realize that it's the quality increases basically down to bullying Yes, and yeah. just badgering. The, See, we the edit all this stuff out. Yeah, make make yeah. ourselves sound really smart. Yeah. yeah, I think, but I I actually definitely think if I was starting design now, if I was looking for the place that I wanted to land as a designer, I found it so difficult. Like websites for design companies are typically like are always awful. Either they're beautiful but awful in that they don't describe what they do, mm. or that they're both those things. They're just awful and they don't describe what they do you know you talk to friends and things and they can't really explain what they do at those design studios and you know you go to a talk perhaps and the design leads or whoever it is try and present this kind of view of 
what their design studio is based on what they think what people want to hear but to try and make sense of what i'm just saying is um if i was like a young designer i would go through your podcasts because having gone through and listened to you know yeah like meld and joseph mark and a couple of other the other teams it's so clear from the personalities i'm quite i obviously understand those studios and what they do and listening to their founders and some of those leads talk about not what they do but why they do it and how they do it is such a powerful insight into the work they do in some ways a way better description than what would be written on their website it's it's hard to hide sorry you were gonna say no, something. no no i was just gonna say it actually just introduces the spectrum of like different types of like focus it like focuses across the industry and i i also wish i had that when i was in you know uni that you know i could see the different ways people have applied it and where mm. you could help you know design better solutions in different types of industries like that would have been gold for me yeah and so like the type of mission that you're likely to get there you know like listening to different people so they're all basically talking about the same three or four things right like yeah. how do we get our teams to work really well together how do we you know find the right people to work on teams what should the right process be and they have each of them including us some really unique like unique view on the world but they're all just talking about the same thing and it's if you can connect with your studio with the place that you work if you really believe the thing that that person says then everything else becomes true like that is the best process because it's the best process for you and that is the best type of work because it's the best type of work for you hmm. so yeah, it's a shame that it's from all the badgering that that great outcome has arisen but um it's a great resource for people it is yeah, I mean, thank a, you. Yeah. a lot of people talk about once they've been on that it was quite a cathartic kind of thing to go through the badgering mm. yeah because because it kind of forced them to I guess put into words what they've been trying to struggle yeah to, to kind of work and it's that thing it's like everyone you know if people have their meaningful mission it kind of becomes unsaid after a while yeah and you're exactly right and you take that for granted don't you it's the thing that you never say hmm. and that's we actually went through a really weird process of having a branding person come and help us work on our own brand oh wow recently which was really like kind of weird and meta and the things that they played to us play back to us was just all the obvious stuff that we would never say and they're like yeah but you're not saying it so no one's hearing it yeah right. and you're saying a bunch of other super confusing things that you think people want to hear that is just related to like the super detailed nature yeah. of the work that you do um and that's been a really interesting process yeah that is really interesting. Yeah. we we are at time though we are thank you so much thank how you. can how can people find out more about you individually first and then is there an instagram that you would send people towards uh instagram yeah sure like um mf underscore yeah. says it'll be in the show notes mentally friendly is one too many characters for i remember that yeah it's a, a long disaster. time ago yeah, <laughs> yeah it's that. one too many characters yeah so yeah that one and also we have a um newsletter on our site which is actually good because we put on tons of events mm. so we put on heaps of well-being based events so events about designing for financial well-being designing for mental health measuring well-being and setting up pro like design projects for better well-being outcomes stuff like that so and i would love to help any young designer and talk to them about you know navigating that that career journey it's always you know interesting so yeah linkedin even yeah. be good LinkedIn, cool. Perfect. Yeah. Great.
Matt, circles, where are your circles at? Matt underscore Leach, cool. L-E-A-C-H. Right. I'm at Flynn Tracy on everything. Um, and you can find this episode or more at ausdesignradio.com or on Twitter, Instagram, SoundCloud, Spotify at AUS Design Radio. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you, you for having Thanks. us in your time. Thanks. Thanks.